Welcome to the Love Your Truth podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jen Chrisman, and for over a decade, I have been a licensed clinical psychologist, life coach, and on my own journey of personal and spiritual development. Each week, I'm going to be bringing you an inspiring guest or a thought that will help you move beyond fear and doubt to unlock your true potential because you know there is something inside of you that you want to express and a kind of life that you want to create. We're going to be talking about personal development, wellness, spirituality, and entrepreneurship. You'll get a blend of practical and spiritual advice as well as tangible actions you can apply to your life today. Are you ready? Let's get on to this week's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Love Your Truth podcast. My name is Dr. Jen Chrisman, and I am your host, and I am so excited to have you here today. And before we get into this week's episode, I did want to share with you an exciting announcement, which is I have just opened up a free seven-day trial membership to my monthly coaching experience, the Embodied Life Experience. And in this monthly container, we are focusing on bringing you multiple different healing modalities, including breath work and meditation. We do EFT tapping. Um, all with the intention of giving you access and resources to practical tools that will help you create that bridge from your mind, the mindset work, into the embodiment work, which if we have had any sort of conversation, you will know that this is the foundational tenet of my belief system around how we create real change and real transformation that we we can't just think about changing. We can't just rely on insight to bring us change. We actually have to bring the change and transformation into our bodies and experience change within our bodies, both in the capacity of feeling what's present and what needs to be moved through as well as stepping into the next level versions of ourselves. Both of those happen within the body. Both of those happen energetically uh, by learning how to navigate and move into different felt experiences rather than just thinking about it. So all of that to say, you can now experience this monthly membership, the Embodied Life Experience, for free for seven days. And I will encourage you to come check it out. There are dozens of videos that have been uh, accumulated and curated over the last few months since I first launched the program. So you'll have access to all of those videos, videos on uh, EFT tapping for specific um, themes and topics. There's replays of the breathwork sessions that we've done. There are guided meditations, writing meditations, and journaling prompts. So go ahead and give it a check. Check it out. And you can visit my website, uh, www.drjennifercrisman.com 
forward slash embodied life experience and get your free trial. And I will make sure to leave that in the show notes as well. So having said all of that, I'm really excited to share this week's episode with you. I invited my friend Aram Arya onto the podcast. I originally Uh, extended the invitation because I really wanted to talk to him about human design, which has become a super, super hot topic in the personal development world. I feel like uh, it's really taken off in the last year or so. And before we dive into this episode, if you are not familiar with human design, if you have never heard of human design before, I am going to encourage you to pause this episode and go online. You can get your free chart reading and find out what your human design type is. And you can just search, uh, do a, a search for you know free human design chart. And there are a few different uh, websites that will give you that information. Similar to astrology, you need... Um, your date of birth and the specific time, and that part's really important for human design, what time you were born, as well as the location. So go ahead and find that. It can be really helpful as you're listening to some of what we're talking about uh, to know what, what yours is and how it relates to what's being shared. So I invited Aram to come on because... He has a way of taking something like human design, which is can be really complicated. There are a lot of moving parts to it. There's a lot you can do with it. And Aram has a way of teaching and speaking that's very succinct and very digestible. So I wanted to have him come on and talk about how we can take this information from human design and use it to create transformation and change and support ourselves on our own personal paths. And, you know, before we even got to human design, we spent most of our time actually talking about Aram's story and his own personal journey of transformation and how he took an experience of becoming very ill from toxic mold and use it, how that path sent him on a trajectory of a spiritual awakening and uh, and he shares all about that story and so I'm gonna have to have Aram come back on because we only just scratched the surface of human design and I know I'm I'm left with uh, you know like wanting to go so much deeper and knowing that there's so many more paths we could take but I felt like it was really important to hear his story. Again, you know, the name of this podcast is obviously Love Your Truth. And Aram's story of transformation is, you know, it's just really in line with that that message, that theme of honoring the truth that is inside you, no matter what. So I'm really excited for you to hear Aram's story. I'm excited to scratch the surface with you on human design. I can't wait to hear all of your thoughts on this. If you have any questions or uh, anything that you want to know 
next time I bring him back, feel free to reach out to me or to Ram. Tag us on Instagram. Let us know you're listening. It means the world to us. And now enjoy this episode. I am I'm actually really excited to to bring you on for two reasons. One is I think you have a really cool story that I actually don't know all of the details of it. And so I'm excited to dive into that and hear about your um, that that journey of transformation and pivot that I know you had in your life as you embarked on a spiritual path. And um, I would love for you to talk a little bit about what that looked like. And then I'm also really, really excited to get in and like dive real deep if we can on human design. Hmm. And it's such a hot topic right now. I feel like in the last few months, the last year, it like all of a sudden is everywhere. And I know you know a lot about it. So I'm hoping that we can talk all about what what is human design why is it helpful how can people use it um how is it different than mm-hmm. some of the other um personality um uh concepts that we have available to us so having said all of that to give you a little idea of kind of where i'm hoping to go maybe we can just start off a little bit with uh talking about who you are. Tell us who Aram is. Sure. Um, my name's Aram. I have learned uh, pretty recently that um, you know, one of my big missions or my purpose in the second half of my life is to tell my story of personal transformation. And um, you know, with, with that as a backdrop to my second career, which is specializing in personal transformation as a coach, as a human design guide, and as a healer. Uh, those three things, how they come together is the focus of all of my work now and my life. It's, uh, um, it's, mu- it's much more of a spiritual mission and a calling and a total embodiment of all of those things, uh, as much as it as much as it is a career. And um, yeah, I guess that's how I would like to set the table to introduce myself. Um, my story of transformation is, um, you know, it, it basically started uh, as me living a normal life in you know in every sense of that word. Uh, relatively to, to um, you know, to a normal human existence. I had a, uh, a job, uh, a wife, uh, a house, uh, a career, and I, I basically thought everything was uh, on track. And at the same time, I was still searching for a higher purpose. And then through a series of um, misfortunes, through my own hero's journey, through a series of mystical experiences, I had a spiritual awakening and uh, change my name and receive this new mission. Can you share a, a little bit about what that hero's journey was, the misfortunes that you mentioned, as well as the mystical uh, in, encounters that you had? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, you'll you'll have to cut me off as I go off on, you know, several different tangents here. Perhaps um, you can help me steer. So, so basically, in 2012, I was in my uh, early 30s. Uh, I recently bought a home with my former wife and um, was attempting to settle down, was thinking about having children, was living near uh, the mountains in Salt Lake City, Utah, and um, was kind of settling into a somewhat domestic, but also like really fulfilling outdoor lifestyle, um, doing things in the mountains. And um, what happened was I lost my job. Uh, then I became very ill. I had a mystery illness for about a year that was really scary. Uh, I went to the emergency room a few times. I had trouble breathing. I had all these weird, uh, what eventually turned out to be immunocompromised, uh, immunocompromised sim symptoms, respiratory symptoms, fatigue. Uh, and I was also having these really, I felt like a crazy person. And I was, I felt like an, you know, an old man too. I, I could barely walk down the street without um, running out of breath. And it was a really scary time for, for me and my, my former wife. Um, she began to get uh, ill as well, not, not nearly as bad as me, but I came to find out that uh, my, my house had a mold problem. And it was a really scary kind of situation that was really bad, but simultaneously completely hidden. There was, um, you know, if, you're, if you own your own house, you might know what a hose bib is. There was a, a broken hose bib uh, on, in, my, in my backyard. So every time I turned on the garden hose in the back, uh, my basement was being flooded, except I didn't know it because the water that went down there was being held in between the cement of the, of the foundation and the wall. And it basically grew an enormous, um, you know, it, a whole room full of black mold. And I was down there uh, working in my office on a regular basis. So I was there breathing it, um, never really smelled it except maybe a couple of times. So I never really put it together until about a year later. So that experience, um, if, you, if you know, uh, most people don't uh, know about this phenomenon, but what happens to some people like me is that although I had no sensitivities to mold to, uh, to that point in my life, uh, I developed an extreme sensitivity through my long-term exposure. So from that point forward, from 2012, 2013 forward, now I was sensitized to mold. It's the body's natural defense for sounding the alarm that, hey, buddy, um, you're in a building or you're in a place that has a mold problem and you need to get out, get out of here before you get sick. So it's the body's early warning system kicking in. It's now, I have a question about that yeah. because I, like you said, a lot of, um, you said if you're like me, and I'm guessing not a lot of people are, um, because what I'm hearing in that is that there was an attunement that you had already at that point 
to be able to recognize what your body was communicating to you? And was that something that you had always had on some level or was that a new experience for you at this time? Totally new experience. Yeah. If anyone is interested in this phenomenon or protecting themselves or their family, I highly recommend that you watch a a short film that's made by uh, Dave Asprey. Dave Asprey is the guy who does Bulletproof Coffee. Um, You know, he's the the interesting dude who wants to uh, elongate his life with all these interesting habits and, and, and healthy things that he does. And Dave has uh, uh, his own story of being basically poisoned by mold for his entire childhood and teenage years, only to realize it as uh, a young adult um, to get clean, to lose all this weight, to basically regain his health and humanity. And then he you know, went on to be a successful entrepreneur and make this, make this short film. The film's called Moldy. You can find it on the internet. It's it's filled with really useful information for people dealing with this phenomenon. So mm-hmm. for me, with your question about the, the attunement to it is, it's basically like this. There's, there's about one out of four people like me that are uh, predisposed to um, having more problems with mold than other people. So the idea is like certain kinds of mold are really bad and will kill everyone in sufficient quantities, but at lower levels, some people, no problem, their body just recognizes it, takes it out of their system, They're, they don't never notice it. And other people like me, they have a degree of sensitivity where, where their body doesn't recognize this toxin, it accumulates and starts to cause uh, immune function problems. So when this happened and you were able to identify that this was what was happening for you, this was really the catalyst for you, right? In in the trajectory of the spiritual transformation. And I'm curious what that what that bridge was for you and this gift of the illness um, that you had to then being able to to take off in an entirely new direction. So what I tell people, it's kind of like being in a science fiction movie. And that idea that you're living in a science fiction movie began to parallel a future, began to parallel a, few, a future spiritual awakening or a future spiritual realm that I would encounter much later. So the scary part of my life during these seven years or so was that, um, my life appeared to look normal. Once I got healthy and I understood the things I had to do to detox my body, I had to get rid of everything I owned, everything, um, which was very hard to do as uh, you know, a person approaching midlife or so, you know, trying to make it in the world. And uh, I, I ended up getting rid of everything I owned uh, several different times as I encountered other moldy buildings and other moldy homes and situations as things went forward. But basically the science fiction movie ideas, like I was kind of living in my own universe with the sensitivity to mold that would pop up, uh, not all the time, actually almost never, but when it did, when it did, or when it, when I was, went into a building or someone's house or sometimes where I was living, and I sensed it, I have to leave. 
I had to learn how to leave. And other people, um, relationships, friends, um, through no fault of their own, were, were like, this, this guy must be a crazy person. This guy is absolutely crazy. He's, he's losing his mind because I'm having a, an inflammatory attack and nobody else is. <laughs> and I, I feel like on some level, that is the theme that so many people who struggle with autoimmune yeah. disorders come up against because the, the, the symptoms and the experiences that they have can be so debilitating uh, on the inside. But for someone looking at them on the outside, they look, you know, there's nothing necessarily to see. Yeah, one of the the most painful parts of that is people would encounter me and they'd be like, hey, well, you look fine. Mm -hmm. You look good. Be, and that what they couldn't feel is my energy. They couldn't feel that I was working on, you know, 50% batteries mm -hmm. and the, the, the chronic fatigue and, you know, things like that, that um, wouldn't allow my body to produce energy in a normal way would really get in my way. Um, so eventually, you know, I kind of adopted this minimalist, um, ur urban nomad, urban ninja kind of mentality as a, just as a way of surviving and, and, and as a way of preserving my manhood and as some way of continuing in my career and keeping up appearances. And I was like, who's gonna, you know, I got divorced. Who, who's gonna want to be with? Who, who's gonna love me? Who, what kind of relationship can I have? You know, where this is gonna, where I can navigate this. It was extremely lonely, and you know, I. It was it was traumatizing. I was I was I had a long term PTSD. I eventually found a PTSD therapist that snapped me out of that in a, in a couple of months with some, with some tools and, and uh, some help. And, and then I realized that uh, I had more work to do. And that's when this spiritual aspect uh, began to open up. I, I found plant medicine through a variety of different channels that all just appeared magically at the, uh, at the right time. And, and um, then I started a plant medicine journey and, and realized uh, I didn't know very much at all about plant medicine. It started to, it started to fascinate me. It started, I started to read everything I could about it. And I, I kind of saved myself by diving into this other alternate consciousness and alternate universe. And I didn't realize it, but then I started to really heal. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. can you can you elaborate a little bit i'm so curious to hear what um you know i <laughs> you know i love plant medicine and i've talked about it on this podcast before and i'm actually uh creating a whole series that's coming up around plant medicine and specifically mm -hmm. ayahuasca and the the profound uh, capacity for true, true healing that the medicine holds. Um, and I'm curious if you can elaborate a little bit on what your relationship was to it. Was it um, like, I'm, I'm curious your relationship to spirituality before encountering plant medicine. 
Um, and I'm curious if you can actually elaborate on what specifically happened for you with the medicine yeah. that created that, that true healing. The first thing I'll say is it was completely organic. Uh, I didn't have an intention other than some sort of magnetism, some sort of destiny drawing me to it. I remember, um, you know, when I was uh, a teenager, I think, I think I ate some mushrooms with my friends twice when I was 16. One of those experiences was one of the most amazing transformative experiences to my life to that point. I still remember the two friends that I did it with and what we experienced together. I, I dabbled with, um, you know, different party drugs and different experiences here and there um, in my 20s and 30s, but never, I had, I had a lot of bad experiences too. So I, I really kind of thought all that was in the past. Um, I remember in my late 30s, a friend of mine sent me some tapes and sent me some Terrence McKenna um, videos to watch and we would we would listen to them and, and talk about them you know, talk about the universe and talk about consciousness and uh, talk about what we're doing here. And um, yeah, then I heard the word ayahuasca and uh, began to research that. And it seemed like something far more powerful than I had experienced to that point or even back when I, when I was 16. So it, it's sort of, you know, I'm an adventure seeker. I'm a, you know, I've always gone as an adventurer, as a, as a human, I've always gone for it. I've, I've wanted to climb the highest mountains and have the, the wildest experiences that I could come up with. I think that's part of what we're here to do. So, so this seemed to be like, okay, if what I'm reading about this and listening to about this phenomenon and what people are experiencing um, with this Amazonian plant medicine is true, then this is something I want to do. And I had this adventurer attitude about it. It was just a, a box that I was like, okay, let's do, I, that's something I want to do. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so it started in different ways. Um, I think one of the misconceptions about ayahuasca and plant medicine is that there's just a few things, there's a few options and there's, there's hundreds of combinations of sacred plants in, in different ways that different cultures use. So one person's ayahuasca is not another's, it's, it's vast. So um, I, would, I would tell anyone who's interested in this journey to, to just know that whatever you might experience is, is just one data point. It's one, you know, the door is gonna open for you in one way and where you might end up might be totally totally different. So um, it was about a year. I've done some different plant medicine ceremonies over about a period of about a year uh, before um, I drank the real thing, before I, you know, drank um, ayahuasca in a semi-traditional setting. Um, and then I became really fascinated with it. I didn't really have a profound experience 
that first time, but I had had, I had had several other astoundingly visual and, and transcendent experiences um, with different medicines for about a year. And I guess what I'll say about that is the, the real eye opener for me in hindsight was that I was experiencing things that a lot of other people weren't right away. I was having visions about how the universe works um, in, in ways that other people were like, what, holy shit, like, what are you talking about? And, and I realized pretty soon that I was on a shamanic path myself in a, in a way that, it, you know, a funny way to say it is, is like, I discovered that I was really good at this. <laughs> I was, I, I had a, a kind of command of myself and, and, uh, and somehow I, I had a way of navigating these experiences um, that showed me quite literally that I could do some, that I had some future. I, I had some future calling to study this on, on a deep level. And so when you heard the calling, uh, as in the traditional hero's journey, did you resist it at all? Or did you go all in when the calling, when you heard mm. it? That's really, that's a great question. I, I kind of knew about it all along. Mm -hmm. if, if that makes sense. I kind of knew that um, I'd been accessing my alternate consciousness, my higher consciousness, my higher self in various ways throughout my life. I, I thought I, I, in my life and with my clients, I talk a lot about channeling as peak performance, which a lot of people do. The idea that when you're channeling yourself, you're accessing your higher self. When you're performing at a peak level, you're accessing the amazing, creative, perfect power of your spirit to drive your machine and when you get, when you get out of the way. And I'd had a lot of experiences, particularly in uh, accessing alternate states of consciousness um, through running, through um, playing sports, through um, mostly, mostly through endurance running. And um, so the idea that, so when I heard the call, in other words, um, I recognized it. It, it what, I, what I tell people sometimes is that um, being a healer is kind of, to me, like running. There's, there's an element of training. There's an element of total commitment and total focus. And when I drop into those states, that's when, that's when my, my guides, um, my, my higher self can then begin to access what it needs to access to, to do the work in front of me. So the, the resistance to the call was mostly just fear. Mm. The amount of fear of the unknown things 
that were going to crumble mm-hmm. in order for me to fully access what I what was available to me was you know this sort of unknown mystery of the shadow mm-hmm. and that had to do with um, not only confronting but basically being willing to surrender a lot of ideas about how I thought the world worked from a lower level of consciousness. So I'm kind of rambling, but what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, this, the scariest thing I ever encountered was that everything in my life might have been happening for a reason. Mm-hmm. I had this, I had this concept of fate and destiny that were kind of mixed up. I hadn't really sorted out how destiny really works. How I thought destiny might work is that none of this is up to me and everything that's happened to me is some sort of punishment. And um, if I go further down this path, then I'm going to be destroyed. And basically that was true because that's what an ego death is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But that's the story of the resurrection. That's the story of ascension, which is the destruction of partial, at least, of your lower self so that you have some room for your higher self to appear. Mm. That's so beautiful. Um, I have so many different thoughts and so many different directions that I feel like I could take this right now. The one that's coming up for me, um, and what I'm curious about as you embarked on this shift, this, you know, the spiritual transformation that occurred and, you know, a total pivot in career, you changed your name, um, opening up to more cosmic and universal practices and principles and, um, you know, imagine even as we're talking here, you were saying some things and the language and the verbiage, I'm guessing, shifted. Um, was there any point, um, did you ever come up against the resistance around um, other people's perceptions? And I, I imagine re- relationships that may have been challenged as a result of these changes that you were undergoing? A million percent, yes. You know, it had to, it had to get to a point where um, there was no doubt that I was on a spiritual path. And what made it relatively easy in some way is all of the pain that I'd already gone through with my journey through toxic mold. Mm-hmm. I'd already tried so hard. I'm, I'm a really determined person. You know, if you'd met me when I was you know, a teenager uh, or in my early 20s, I was, I was aggravatingly competitive. And I had a determination about where I was headed. And uh, it was not a normal path. Um, 
And so a lot of that got, that competitive nature got destroyed when I lost everything over and over again. And I began to keep trying to claw my way back to financial stability or um, having a sense of purpose and a place to live and things like that. All that, they got, got chewed up. So in a lot of ways, once I started having some really mystical experiences without plant medicine, uh, once some things started to happen to me spiritually all by themselves, this shift was just kind of magnetic. I, uh, it, was, it became realer than real. So mm -hmm. leaving behind what had already been blown up mm -hmm. so, you know, over and over again was kind of easy. Mm -hmm. Now, what that meant for certain relationships, it meant that I had to leave some of those behind too. I'm not someone who ever really gave a shit about what people think about me. The times that I did, those were some of the toughest lessons um, that I ever that I ever went through when I when I gave too much of my power away. Um, and so when I began to have spiritual experiences, when I when I had this uh, transition of my name, which is one of the wildest things, you know, I, I could never have imagined, could never have imagined changing my name. That sounds like the most bizarre. Why would I ever do that? That's the, that sounds like the dumbest, most bizarre thing I could ever think of until it happened to me. And, and what is the story behind changing your name? So I'll tell you, I'll tell you a, a few pieces of it. Um, I had this experience one time uh, when a, a teacher of mine said my name to me. Um, my, my given name is John. He said, you know, he's talking to me across the room and uh, he says, John. And I was sort of like, I, my attention was somewhere else. And I looked over at him and I was like, my response was like, who's that? Mm -hmm. and, I, and then I was like, oh, he's talking to me. <laughs> so that's the craziest thing I can imagine where one day your name doesn't quite resonate with your identity. And I wasn't trying to be anybody else. I wasn't on a quest to, I was not on a quest to reinvent myself. That wasn't, that was happening, but it wasn't intentional. Mm -hmm. Then I had a couple months after that, I had this dream. I had a dream where I was myself as I am now. I had a, I had a shaved head. Uh, my ex-wife was in my dream and I was holding my former self in my lap and he had hair so this was at least like eight years prior he had hair it was it was john and he had died mm. and it was extremely painful mm -hmm. but he had passed away and when i woke up from that dream i realized that this vibration that was coming, this different frequency that I was attuning to, uh, didn't identify with any name. 
that's when I knew I told people I was like I think there's some sort of new new name or identity that's going to be coming and some people you know I didn't say that to very many people but the people that I said it to were like yeah that makes sense (laughs) (laughs) I laugh about that all the time because I feel like when you um when you when you go down this path and you open yourself up to this new way of being i sometimes hear myself saying things and having <laughs> conversations that you know for you and i or you know other people in our community it's like oh yeah of course obvi- obviously right. but if anybody right. else heard us it'd be a little concerning totally nuts yeah <sighs> so so the the name change happens the you know furthering your expansion on this path and i am really curious how human design found its way into your life and uh, into being one of your primary modalities that you use mm. for working with others in their own transformations yeah it it has its own sort of interesting story of synchronicity too i was uh i was out in the desert i was on a retreat i just i just had a really um a really transformative spiritual experience where all of a sudden um literally for the first time i had a i had an awareness of spiritual entities that were beyond myself Nothing could have prepared me for that. But the way I'll explain it to anybody listening to this is it's not as crazy as you might imagine. Um, I think we all kind of have a knowing of what our higher self is. There, There are these times where you might feel this presence of a greater knowing or like, or information or emotions or some greater access to knowing things that you may not be able to know from your physical environment. And I had a really powerful experience a few days prior with this um, incorporation. Uh, And I had made plans prior to this of driving to the desert uh, and just getting out to Arizona for a few days to do, do a few different things and just clear, basically just take some time for myself because I love being in the desert. And so it was perfect timing. I had all this time on the road to attempt to integrate uh, this spiritual experience. Um, I, I eventually got to Sedona. I, I stayed with, um, I stayed in an Airbnb that was, I'd wanted to stay at just from all the pictures. It was really cool. It was really amazing. The owner of the Airbnb, uh, uh, we became friends. Um, a couple of days before I left, she was like, hey, do you have your human design? And I was like, what is that? And you know, she, she printed out my chart and gave it to me. Um, so like you were saying, human design has become really popular for all the right reasons. I, I had no awareness of it, but what I, what I saw was, when I saw my chart, I was like, okay, there's some astrological component to this. I have no background in astrology. I have, to this point, not really many spiritual beliefs. Um, and but what struck me was that it was full of jargon. 
and it was extremely complex. I could see <laughs> that. I could see, you know, numbers all over the place. And I was like, okay, you have my attention. What is, what is this? So long story short, I went home. Um, I spent like 10, 12 hours a day for four, four straight days listening to and reading everything I could on this topic, learning about myself. And what I was learning about myself floored me, was, was so astoundingly accurate that I could not put it down. A couple of more weeks go by and, and then I sort of realize, okay, whatever's happening to me in my understanding of this material is, is different also. I, I realized that I had, I had a ability to make sense of this. Because mm -hmm. it so, is not easy to make sense yeah, of. It's not easy. And what I realized to my astonishment and to my joy was that whatever I'm able to tap into intuitively with myself and other people, whatever I'm doing clairvoyantly uh, or energetically with other people, I realize that human design is the language of whatever I'm tapped into. So when I know someone's human design, even a few things about them and, I, and I'm in their presence for even a few minutes, I'm like, oh, boom, 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 boom. I know what they need to know. Mm. I, I know, I know intuitively what they will value about their chart right mm -hmm. away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, then I, and then that's sort of just the joy of that has taken over my life as, as a tool that I want to offer people. Yeah. And I mean, I will speak to that uh, firsthand because you and I sat down for a chart reading um, and that was exactly my experience of what I walked away with. It was different than what I went in thinking I wanted, um, but it was, I mean, you, you did, you honed in on that one particular piece for me, which was the incarnation cross of love. Um, and, and you tied it into every aspect of my life and how, you know, the steps of my business and my relationship and myself and all of, you know, how it all tied into this one, you know, very specific piece of that entire chart, which, um, was unlike anything I'd ever experienced and so different than what everybody else out there is doing with human design. Um, so I just want to give that shout out real quick because <laughs> it's been beautiful. Um, for anybody who doesn't even know what we're talking about and what human design is, can you tell us that? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the official definition of human design is that it is a synthesis of several different ancient sciences. Everything from the I Ching, which is the foundation, the whole building blocks of the system, to a Hindu Brahmin chakra system, to aspects of the Kabbalah, to the astrological component, which is like a normal astrology chart that is set or fixed on the moment of your birth. So the idea that I often start with is that the idea is the moment you were born, the celestial bodies of our solar system and our universe were in such a position as to code you with innate characteristics that you have for life. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that you're set on the moment of your birth 
to be certain, to be a certain way or to have certain qualities. The cool part about human design that's different than anything else in the world today is that it takes those qualities and it gives you an operating manual. It literally tells you how to be yourself by how you pay attention to different energies in your body and how you communicate with them. So the idea is that there is a difference between an emotion and a gut feeling. And there's a, you know, there's a difference between knowing and creative thinking and logical thinking. And as you begin to parse out your different ways of being, you get to stop being the things that you've been conditioned to be and learn to channel your energies in ways that you will immediately recognize because they're the most relaxed, most natural ways of being yourself that create the most happiness and get you what you want, get you the things that you want or the ways of being that you want or the relationships that you want over and over again. So the idea is that we get to stop doing all the things that are working against us, align to the things the characteristics that are innately you, and that's the definition of happiness. Mm. So when someone is um, first opening themselves up and learning about human design, um, my guess is the first point is usually figuring out what type you are, right? Right. So, and there's five types. Will you tell us just a breakdown of the types and and what they are and how, um, like what someone can do once they learn that part of their blueprint? Yeah, so that's probably the most important part in terms of understanding how your energy works. So there are four basic types. There's, there's five, there's, there's technically five, but there are four base types. There's all, and then there's me. <laughs> yeah, several several of the types have have different aspects that make them uh, an, you know a significant subtype. But you can just start with the idea that there's four base types. So the most common type is called a generator. A generator is basically someone who is hardwired to their second chakra or their or their, the power of their life force, which comes from the sacrum. So these people are wired into their life force. They're really good at slow and steady, repeatable processes that get them where they want to go. The idea if you're a generator is that you get to stop trying to go out there and make it happen and tune into your sacral response. The idea is that if you're doing what you're doing and it's working, great, keep doing it. And by, by repeating the things and the patterns in your life that are working, things will come to you and then you get to respond, yes or no, to those new opportunities. And isn't that a better way of navigating through life than trying to make something happen with your mind and then chasing it and failing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's also manifesting generators which are a type of generator that i like to, i'm a manifesting generator so if you're a manifesting generator out there you you will probably relate to this statement which is like this you feel the pressure to make it happen now but 
the best medicine for you is to slow down and go about life in a step-by-step process. But you feel the just pressure. Like the, just like a regular generator? Right. Okay. Yeah. So the manifesting generator is someone who kind of lives in the future and also in the present. And they, mm. their consciousness will jump to the future, figure a bunch of things out, but then they got to go back to the present to make it happen. So there's this kind of polarity between present and future that manifesting generators are, are playing with. Where generators, of course, of course, they can visualize themselves in the future as well. But you'll find with generators that they're really, really comfortable with the present moment. Mm. When when they're when basically when they when they start being themselves, being mm-hmm. in the present and, and doing things in step-by-step processes, super comfortable place to be for them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have the generators, we have the manifesting generators. Yeah, so let's talk about the, the manifestors real quick. Um, manifestors and generators find purpose in their life by doing their work. Whatever they define work to be, this doesn't necessarily mean your job. Okay, it's not necessarily how you make money. Whatever your life's work is, is super, super important to manifestors and generators. So generators go about things by response. Manifestors are the only type that are supposed to initiate things at all times. Mm. They're the ones who are pushing the rest of us into action. They're the ones who are uh, being the instigators and the initiators. And, they, and they're supposed to just be spontaneous with their energy. Doesn't mean they're always gonna succeed. They mm-hmm. fail all the time too, but their energy is such that they're all, they always want to be in action and they should be. Mm-hmm. What's so interesting and what comes up for me immediately as you say this is uh, the, the conditioning that we have had as a society where it feels like, like we've all been conditioned to be manifestors, Correct. right? Where, where we live in a world and a culture that values doing, that values productivity, which I'm putting in air quotes right now. Um, and, right. and, and, you know, you can see like right away how using a concept like this and seeing how our individual innate blueprint may not support us showing up in a culture in this way that values this particular type of productivity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah, it leads to exhaustion, it leads to disease, it leads to stress, it leads to all these sorts of behaviors of what I should be doing and why I'm not there already. Mm -hmm. And prevents you from being in the present moment and only in the present moment can anything meaningful actually happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's a kind of Buddha energy that is in the generators. And the generators represent 70% of uh, the world population. So it's kind of like the idea that, yeah, that's most people is most people should be channeling the Buddha, Mm. which is waiting, Mm -hmm. being patient, finding the value in the mundane stuff, like drinking a cup of coffee, Mm. going about your business, Mm -hmm. finding Mm -hmm. the beauty in that, Mm -hmm. finding the meaning of that. 
I can hear the yeah buts uh, <laughs> of right. of people who might be listening to this and saying you know and, and like yeah that's that's really great but that's not the world that we live in mm-hmm. right we do still live in a world that values the manifesting behavior yeah and, and I would counter yeah go ahead no I was just gonna ask like your thoughts on reconciling that discrepancy. So I think part of that is honestly a perception of time and speed. Mm. Because I don't care if you're uh, on the cusp of, you know, or you you are a super successful entrepreneur or whatever that means. There's nothing wrong with entrepreneurship. There's nothing wrong with growth and creating businesses and creating connections and providing people with what they need. All that's great but opportunities don't happen every single moment of every single day. Mm. You know, if you're searching for a job, one of the number one things I tell people who are changing careers or in a job search, you can't search for that job eight hours a day, every day. You're going to drive yourself crazy. You got to have some boundaries around where you're putting your energy in a productive way. And then you got to let that you know, you gotta let that thing bake. You gotta let that thing, you gotta let things happen. Yeah. So this, this idea that there's more waiting and there's more patience and there's more presence, that's just a given because those opportunities, when they come, if you make them happen or you respond to them, you can't really speed those up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the idea of human design is, you know, this idea of preparation is like, you know, I think about like this in, in uh, you know, in coaching, like a job interview, sure. Or maybe it's, uh, you know, um, in dating, there's that person, right? That you, re- that you really, there's that anticipation. You want to show up as your best self and not blow it, right? Well, there's only one moment when that arrives. So most of you is preparing yourself for those key moments in life. I love that. So, so much value. So good. Um, okay. So what are the other types that we have? So the other two types, I think, I think the one type that I think probably has the most to gain reflectors do too, but I'm going to <laughs> projectors first and say, I'm going to, I'm going to suggest that perhaps projectors have the most to gain from human design because it is a radical shift in how you've been going about things. Uh, Projectors are essentially the guides. They're essentially the catalysts for everybody else. It doesn't mean you're smarter. It doesn't mean you know more than other people. It doesn't mean you should be the boss, okay? It just means that as a presence in the group of people, you may be really good at being an advisor, an administrator. That's a bad, that's a bad word too in our culture. Oh, that's a lowly administrator. Well, administer is, you know, broken down is also minister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the administration is the highest function of organizing uh, and delegating, you know, jobs and what people should be doing in any organization, not just a company. Um, the advisor, the administrator, the, uh, the, the people who understand how to get the most 
out of someone else. The idea is that if we're all out, out there trying to produce, as you said, not everybody is a high producer. Mm-hmm. Some people make other people better at producing. And those are the projectors. Mm-hmm. So projectors aren't really here to work in the same way. They're there here to notice, coordinate. Uh, I like to say potentiate, you know, mm-hmm. create, you know, create mm-hmm. opportunity for other people to do what they, what they do well. So, um, and projectors are really interesting too, because they have a lot of different ways they make decisions. We have emotional projectors, we have splenic projectors, we have different sorts of uh, ways projectors access their truth, which is the other major component of human design of how you get to your truth, how you make the decision. And projectors have a lot of different ways. So they're kind of like the most complex um, uh, types in human design. And they have, and you can think about them as the glue, right? If you've ever been on a team and, you know, everybody, you know, any, any type can have charisma. But in my own life, that there's sometimes these really charismatic people that are the glue. And they glue these other types together. You might be a projector if, if, um, if that's you. Mm. And the last type is people like you. <laughs> these one percenters. One percent of the world roughly is a reflector. Reflectors are really special because they are not like the other types. They, they're their own islands. There's very few parallels between them and the other types. So reflectors kind of like the name are like the mirrors. They're really good also at being advisors, but they're really good at taking their time and sampling all these different ways of being, all these different points of view, all these different identities. Reflectors are supposed to try on different, literally different identities. Mm. See which one sorts out, see which one is the most meaningful for them. And because they're so fluid with their relationship to identity, they're amazing at giving advice and reflecting the truth back to the rest of the people in the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I remember when I first learned that I was a reflector and I learned just those like few little bits, right? That there's like less than 1% of the population is a reflector. Um, that I have, you know, I don't have any defined centers <laughs> that, um, you know, that my, my job is to, to reflect the, the energy of whoever I'm with. And I remember thinking to myself, like, this is like, I got cursed. Like how, how come <laughs> I got the shitty? <laughs> like it felt like it was such the, like a heavy, heavy, uh, burden to carry um and at the same time i was also like oh my god this makes so much sense like all of a sudden in a split second everything about my life totally lined up and made sense (laughs) (laughs) um so do you have a few more minutes can we keep going on this okay because i would so i know that they're you know talking about the types is really just like one small small piece 
of this whole puzzle, which is what makes human design so complex. Um, I kind of want to get in a little bit, like I just said, you know, the qualities of myself as a reflector, I have no defined centers. Um, if we could talk a little bit about what the centers are, how they play into it. And then I know there's also the profiles. You have channels, you have gates. I know we're not, there's um, <laughs> your incarnation crosses, which I know we won't get into all of these things. Um, but I would love for you to kind of talk about like, what are the most important key pieces of human design? And if you can share a little bit more about how you, how you use human design and how you can really see it benefiting someone to learn what their human design is. Um, and even if you're willing to go there in contrast to some of the other, um, mm personality modalities you know we have astrology we have um the um i was gonna say the mmpi but that is the myers-briggs um you know how does human design differ from some of those in terms Mm. of like the benefit of what you can can take from it that's a great question that was a lot (laughs) yeah there's a lot there but let's start with how it's different so I'll share with you my experience uh, of this, which, which I think will be uh, a good starting place. <clears throat> so I was, you know, having this like four day channeling experience where I, I, I couldn't stop watching my, my screen. I was listening to Ra Uruhu, the man who channeled this information, listening to his voice, watching his videos, reading about myself. You know, I was, I, I couldn't put it down. I got, to a certain point with it, when the aspects of the system began to make sense. My first question was, okay, where did this come from? Mm -hmm. So human design was channeled to a man from an entity, from a mystical higher power in, I think January 3rd, 1987, if I got my date right. So this has only been around for like 33 years and it came to a man in a mystical experience. So he says, and so say his closest advisors, because when you listen to this man talk and I encourage anybody who's really interested in this to go watch his videos. There's a whole website in Jovi Nardikai where you can watch Ra'uruhu talk. He does not talk like a normal person. He talks like a mystic. It's, there's something otherworldly about his speech. And he talks about going from being a normal person to having this experience and who he became after. This is really illustrative for my own spiritual awakening too. It was a good model to be like, oh, that's what happened. Okay. So whether that speaks to you or not, the first offering is that this is higher knowledge this is all the information of this is all comes from the I Ching, which is the oldest actual oracle of knowledge that we have um, that produced Taoism, that produced uh, Confucianism, that produced all these aspects of Buddhism and then Hinduism that came out of it. So it's based on ancient truth. Myers-Briggs is a concept. Strength finders is a concept. 
other tools that help us understand ourselves, they're great for different reasons, but they're subjective. You get to fill out a survey and you get to decide how you see yourself. So one of the ways that I, you know, some, I kind of poke, poke fun at this transition that we're in is to suggest that Myers-Briggs is dead. It's, mm-hmm. it's come to its completion. Myers-Briggs has been around. You should read about the history of it. It's been around for about a hundred years. And from Myers-Briggs, we get these concepts of introvert and extrovert and a lot of Jungian, Freudian psychology, which are very useful. But it's only useful so far in that it's subjective. Mm-hmm. Design is not subjective. It's, it's objective. It's like, here you go. Here's your map. This body graph, this chakra system that is unique to human design comes from higher knowledge. It mm-hmm. comes from sources of knowledge beyond our understanding and it's concrete. So it's quite a different experience to fill out a survey from yourself and you're like, oh, I've decided I'm an extrovert versus receiving this map of yourself and saying, what is, you know, what is this? How does this work? And only through experiencing it. And I can tell you, I've done hundreds of these. It's right every single time. And only through experiencing it, can you really even understand what I mean? And isn't it true? I know with the with Myers Briggs, not only is it subjective, but it's also fluid. It can change depending right. on where you're at at that stage in your life, that day. You know, all of those things. You have, um, you know, each of the qualities is on a continuum. Um, you know, and so you're more or less. Yeah, a little, and, little bit that, yeah. Yeah. Whereas with human design, um, I remember hearing the number at one point, but um, there's like. A, I, I'm not even going to pretend like I know the number of different um, blueprints that can be made up, which essentially lends itself to each of us having our almost entirely unique blueprint, like a fingerprint right. would be, which um, that that makes so much sense in terms of, um, you know, I'm not reading some generic description that defines billions of other people as well like this is really something when i when you break down all of the different pieces Hmm. that kind of like locks in all of those aspects of the individual did that make sense totally it you know i love for instance i love strength finder because it tells you a way it it breaks down in some ways of what I should focus on. What, what are some areas of strength for me, right? So I, I, like, I like some of those types of things. Myers-Briggs is a great starting place to introduce the concept of conscious and subconscious. You know, that's what, you know, Jungian psychology is all about. Mm-hmm. So um, it's on it's onto it. It's not wrong in the sense that the the, the ideas are wrong, but the application is like based is child's play compared to what human design can offer you. Mm-hmm. Human design um, works on several different levels of conscious and subconscious. Uh, and it, it proposes a different format, a, a different way of thinking about that. Um, instead of introvert, extrovert, there's 
transpersonal or personal. So the idea is that um, you can be consciously transpersonal and unconsciously personal. So there's this interplay between conscious and subconscious. And also, am I placing my energy outwards into my community and my environment, or am I placing my energy inwards? And it's more complicated, so the learning curve is absolutely higher. But once you, once you get it, it provides you a way of seeing how your energy works that allows you to kind of drop into that ways of being. You know, if you have a two in your chart, and we're talking about the profile now, but if you have a two, and this it makes you a hermit, you know, whether you're a conscious hermit or an unconscious hermit, right? That hermit quality is not something that's really celebrated in our world. Mm -hmm. But being a hermit means that you're really good at going inside, focusing on your own process, your own genius with the blinders on and in, in not um, engaging with your environment. That's where the magic happens. Mm -hmm. So there are, these, there are these archetypes and qualities that a lot of people have and um, human design often, you know, I don't want to say gets a bad rap, but it's a lot of people take the knowledge of human design and they, they overinterpret it or adapt it because the language of human design can be very severe. Mm -hmm. Sounds, you know, if someone says, Oh, you're a martyr or something like, Oh, I'm a martyr. That's terrible. Mm -hmm. You know? And it's like, okay, well, let's really understand what this martyr archetype is about. So if you can, you know, stay with me through the severity of some of the language and how, uh, precise it is for a second okay then it opens up then you mm -hmm. then you get to see all of the the benefits and the virtues that come from these particular ways of being so i'm uh, i'm trying to think how do i want to ask this question let me so because there are so many different components yeah so many different pieces you have the type you have the centers and the centers are either defined or not um, you have the profiles, which you have a conscious and an unconscious profile. You have all of the gates and all of the channels. And it's not until you, you see the entire picture and how each one of these things plays off of the other that you get the full, the full picture of it, which majority of us... <laughs> are not going to be able to do yeah, too much. Right. Yeah. Right. So what do you think, like if someone is interested, if they're wanting to get into this, they know what their type is, um, you know, like, okay, I know I'm a reflector. I know that my uh, decision-making process is to wait, wait the lunar cycle. Mm. Um, okay. Then what? Like, what is the next thing that like one, uh, I'm reluctant to use the word should, um, <laughs> But what, what would the next like piece be for taking this information and using it as a tool and a resource to create change in their life? Yeah, awesome question. So creating change in your life starts with having a powerful intention. It starts with you being ready. Mm. You stop doing something that's working against you and start doing something 
that's in your favor, even if it's just an experiment to get to where you want to go as defined by your intention. So human design is a great way to get the ball rolling because it's going to give you a different and 100% reliable way of accessing your truth to give you motivation and also to inform your decision making. The idea of human design, it's really only benefit when it boils down to it is that if you're making better decisions more often, then you're creating more and more opportunities for success in your life. Mm. So that's what it's for. Mm -hmm. Ra talked about nothing in human design matters if you don't eventually, because it's a process, if you don't eventually really understand strategy and authority, mm -hmm. which is your decision-making strategy as defined by your type, and then the energy you pay attention to, which gives you your decision. Mm -hmm. so, and that's the authority. Right. So that's a lot of jargon. The idea is that different types go into the decision-making process differently. And then once you're there, what do you pay attention to? as your final decision maker. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're a really special kid. Right, I know this is where I'm like, and this is yeah. why I'm screwed. <laughs> yeah. Because reflectors are instructed to uh, actually wait almost a month to sample mm -hmm. all of these different ways of being. That sounds it's completely crazy. That must sound like the most woo-woo thing in the world, right? But reflectors are, as mirrors, are intended to sample things, sample people, sample different ways of being. It doesn't mean you have to wait 30 days to do anything. It just means, hey, slow down, sample a bunch of different points of view before you find what works for you. Isn't it also about my experience, uh, and, and we're just going to talk about me for a second, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but why this gets so, uh, why I get so sort of stuck in this is that, is in the authority, because as a reflector, right, I have no defined centers, and so I have no inner authority. Um, and that's kind of the direction that I've been given, right, as far as like, okay, so the the strategy is to wait the lunar cycle and then the authority is there is none so that's where i'm like everyone else gets to tune in to how it feels in their gut or how it feels emotionally um based on you know what their uh, authority you, but is it's not it's not true that you don't have an authority okay, oh, okay. your authority is the sampling process mm. It is the trying of different ways of being. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's the sam it's the literally the sampling of how you show up or mm -hmm. you know which point of view becomes most productive for you. The thing about reflectors that other people don't really get is because you're so open, you're like this river of information where when you're using your energy correctly, nothing sticks to you. Mm -hmm. Okay. At like a mirror, you're reflecting everything. As long as you don't allow energies, opinions, other people's emotions to impact you and you keep your vessel clean, 
you're just always sampling. Mm-hmm. And through enough, through, through like any, you can think about this like a science experiment. Once you have enough experiments, you know, mm-hmm. you get some mm-hmm. reliable data. Mm-hmm. But it seems like the key in all of that is keeping the vessel clean right. and not letting others' energy get stuck. Correct. Which I imagine I'm probably not the only reflector that has that problem. <laughs> you know, most people that, um, that I work with, most people that come to me with a calling around human design, they don't come to me before their early 30s. Mm. A rare person in their 20s, a rare person in their early 30s. Most people are mid-30s and older. The sweet spot is midlife mm-hmm. because at midlife, we have enough experience mm. to be open to alternate ways of thinking. We know ourselves enough to be, to be able to do something with the information that, that we've collected so far. So sharing your story about, hey, I, you know, this is, this is my issue or this is how it's conditioned. Everybody's like that. Mm-hmm. And that's why this is such a powerful tool for making that transition to who you're gonna be next. Mm-hmm. So will you quickly share with us the way in which you work with someone if they are interested in learning their human design, kind of what the process is of how you take someone through um, learning their human design and applying it to their life? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say I'd prob- I probably meet more new people in my work, specifically through human design than anything else. Yeah. So if human design speaks to you okay so a a lot of people you know this is just an experience this is just an alternate point of view and that's great you know but if this really speaks to you it can become one of the most powerful tools for creating what you want making a transformation making a transition in your life because it gives you a new compass for being yourself you get to start being yourself and stop being that other guy or the girl or other person and in being yourself consistently, like that's, that is your doorway to freedom. So I use this tool consistently in coaching because we often refer to it for situational advice. Integrating your human design is a lifelong process. It's something that I still do with my, I still re- return to my own chart, particularly what I tell people What's, what's different, one thing that's really different about the way I use human design is I use the not self as a personal diagnostic. So a lot of people teach human design, they're like, oh, you're a reflector, this is what you do, this is your type, do this, do that. None of that works unless you understand your not self. So this is another mm-hmm. jargon that has to do with your open centers. But basically it's like, we all have these common mistakes, common pitfalls, common uh, points of stress, common ways we get into our negative self-talk that defeat us. If those are in the way, we can't access the brilliance of our human design. So a lot of it, a lot of accessing your human design is getting in touch with those patterns that you're open to through your open centers that are working against you. So you can deactivate those. Mm -hmm. So you can dissociate from those 
and only associate with with you. Mm -hmm. now, in coaching, I like to call my methodology a master manifestation. It doesn't mean I'm a master of, any, of anything. The idea is that self-mastery is how you create what you want. Mm -hmm. Self-mastery gives you the discernment to always put things in perspective so that you can make the right decision. Mm -hmm. And once you know what you want to do, whether it's you know one step in front of you or uh, your dream, or manifesting your dream, there are ways of organizing how you go about it strategically to keep you in a positive mindset, to keep you focused on what you're doing differently. And if you're doing different things in a controlled way, this is my definition of strategy, right? So if you're doing different things, you're constantly having to make new decisions. And that's why human design is so powerful. It is, it is the way that you make these new decisions to help you navigate through life in a different way. Mm -hmm. In a nutshell, that's what I attempt to do yeah. for clients. Yeah, I love it. And I, like I said, I can attest to the, the power of, you know, and you and I, we just had that one session together. Um, and it's so funny as we're talking, it's like, okay, well, after the call, I'm going to text you about when we can <laughs> talk again. Um, because it is, you know, having that relationship to self and have, I mean, it really is, a, it's a tool. Human design is a tool. And with your support, I know that, um, that helps you create that new relationship, not only with yourself, but also with how you show up for creating the life that you want. So um, if anybody is interested, where can they find you? What's the best way to get in yeah, touch? Yeah, my website you? is the easiest way to find me. It's my name. It's aramarya.org, A-H-R-A-M-A-R-Y-A.org. Um, and I'll make sure to put that in the show, show notes. Perfect. And Instagram also, same. It's yeah, my name is my Instagram handle. That's where I post. Uh, in stuff I find inspiring about yeah. spirituality and, and um, mastering yourself. Yeah. Well, I honestly, uh, I could sit and talk to you for hours and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I am really just so thankful that our paths have crossed and that I have had the opportunity to pick your brain in this capacity and in others. And um, if I didn't have a child to go pick up, I would really keep this interview going. I could do a whole nother hour and a half with you. Um, so thank you for thank you for following your truth and hearing and listening to the call that you were given because it has made an impact in my life. And um, I'm, I know countless others. So I see you and I honor you and I thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all of it. Thank you so much for having me. I would love to keep it going another time as well. We'll have to have you back and we'll get into the centers and the profiles and the channels and the gates and all of the things. Okay, amazing. Thanks, Dr. Jen. Awesome. Thanks, Aram. Talk to you soon. Thank you guys so much for spending this time with me on the Love Your Truth podcast. I am really just so 
happy that you stopped by. And I would at this point just love to ask for your help in spreading the message and maybe sharing this episode with someone that you think would love it or benefit from it. And also if you could head over to iTunes, if you feel so moved to do so and leave an honest comment and review for us, that would really help me out with this journey to helping thousands and thousands of people. And until next time, please don't forget to love your truth. Thanks guys.